Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 8, incidental episode, Scott Snyder. Right then, everybody, welcome along to Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. My name is Leonard Sultana, and usually I would be broadcasting on a Sunday, uh, bringing you uh, all the updates when it comes to Comic-Cons, con culture, and all the stuff and nonsense we get to see at uh, those shows. But as it happens, uh, we do get the chance to run incidental episodes uh, with some uh, really cool people, and you don't get much cooler than Scott Snyder. Hello there, so how are you? Hey, thank you so much. I don't know about cool, but I'm great. <laughs> And well, okay. uh, what a great, what a great show you have! I was catching up on it. I'm really grateful for you having me on. It's a pleasure to have you. I mean, okay, if you're going, if you're going to turn it down, cool. Popular is definitely on the cards. You've had a hell of a week, sir. I have, I have. <laughs> it's been a crazy week between the ups and downs of the fluctuations of the comic industry and the tough news of DC, and then the crazy news about Nocturnal, which we've been planning forever, and Best Jacket, and death metal and so it has been like there is there, there's there's no sort of comparison in terms of my my career of moments that are like so crushing and also so exciting about sort of what's coming so it's it's a completely cacophonous and strange experience i can imagine i mean when i've been doing the podcasts over the course of the summer um when i've been speaking to creatives i've been asking about how their creativity has been over the course of lockdown is it something that's kind of weighed on their minds is it something that's bogged them down and for the majority of people it's been like no we're back to normal uh, we're uh, we're sat in a room we're uh, on our own we're kind of focusing on the projects what we're focusing on and um you've been working on this like you say for some time uh, just to quickly introduce uh, the, the project that we're talking about uh, in this particular uh, interview, Nocturnal, uh, is a book that in an ideal world we would have seen ash cans of circulating around the likes of New York Comic Con and Thought Bubble perhaps. Uh, it tells the tale of an Earth plunged into eternal night uh, with uh, any members of the population of humans and animals caught in the darkness for a prolonged period, uh, becoming fierce and violent shades of themselves. Uh, the survivors of the landscape are shuttled uh, between, well, from one oasis of artificial light to another by ferrymen, um, one of which we are introduced in this story by Valentina Val Riggs, uh, transporting people and their belongings in her heavily armed and well-lit 18-wheeler. I've been describing this to people as Pitch Black meets I Am Legend meets Mag Max Fury Road. There's a, a whole bunch of uh, influences there. Yeah, um, I hire you for PR, man. That was, that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it was better than I've done. So, yeah, I mean, the series is tremendous fun. It's it's personal to me just because uh, I, it's been in my head a long time. As, as one, it's, it's one of those very simple, bombastic, high-concept kind of ideas that you can wind up making a lot more... Um, sort of mythology out of and, and make more layered and nuanced as you go, but has that, like like Undiscovered Country or American Vampire, it's got that kind of giant propulsive engine from the beginning that says, guess what? It's about this, like Walking Dead, you know, just get you in the door. Uh, and it is, it is high octane and it is um, quite, uh, I think, quite kinetic as a series, but 
ultimately, um, it really is based around this moment. Um, and it's, it's about not just sort of specific and acute fears that I had as a kid and that I see in my own kids about the dark and kind of what, what's out there, but it's much more about this cataclysm kind of befalling earth and it being something that's wildly uncertain, you know, it's origin, it's nature, whether it's supernatural, whether it's cosmic, whether it's, um, uh, biblical reckonings, you know, the ninth plague in the Old Testament darkness, the idea that uh, it, no one knows its nature and, and we're plunged into this kind of new uh, normalcy uh, is is something that I feel I see in my own kids. You know, the fact that COVID has shut things down in such to such a degree that they're unsure of, you know, what the future holds in all kinds of ways. And politically, we're at this huge crossroads and everything is so divisive and, and we have such ugly ugly leaders in so many ways that it's really it's it's really just one of those moments that feels like everything's up for grabs and so this book is reflects that but it's also the same way undiscovered country is kind of you know a mile a minute dinosaur pennsylvania where there's dinosaur robots like this is that kind of a book where it barely gives you a moment to breathe between trying to survive along these deadly and unlit roads so it's it's a lot of fun and tony couldn't i couldn't ask for a better partner i mean he and i have been friends since I kind of went to him terrified when they put me on Batman at the beginning of the new 52. And he was on, he was on Batman and they asked us to switch. And we had become sort of friendly before that. He was just a great, a great buddy at that time, kind of calming me down. And, and uh, we've been circling each other ever since about trying to find something to work on that would, would, would speak to his skill set. And I think his, his art is so muscular and so, epic and widescreen and at the same time his design work his world building his acting is is really superlative so this one kind of he's i told it to him about a year and a half ago and he just took to it right away so i feel great about him and tomeo uh, being the colorist on the actual series it's been great and so with this with the campaign i've never run a kickstarter before uh it's very eye-opening and it's fascinating it's a whole other a whole other beast altogether and a different calculus. But the thing that we wanted to do was twofold. On the one hand, uh, from an emotional and a kind of, uh, you know, just a, a personal or experiential level, we wanted to give something to fans or offer something that would be connective and collectible um, and something that, that was um, intimate. And so the whole campaign is designed around that idea. The, the main two tiers are two different versions of the same book. They're, it's a black and white, unlettered, art and script book. So it's got my script, Tony's art, it's got the designs. It's going to have all kinds of extras now that the campaign funded. But it's something that I don't really give away my scripts. Tony doesn't show his black and white line work very much. Inked, I mean, so the idea of, of doing something that allows you into the process, we want you to feel part of the collaborative effort, part of the team. And, and then there's a hardcover version of it for about 20 bucks more that's signed by both of us. And that's really it. That's that's the campaign. There are other there are other things that allow you to connect to us in different ways. So there's you can take a class with me, for example. You can get drawn by Tony into the book. He's going to do live. And the primary idea is that by paying at any level, whether you even just back for a few bucks, it gives you access to all the kind of Q and A stuff we're going to do, the craft videos, you know, just stuff that lets you in and be part of the book. We don't we're not trying to sell a lot of bells and whistles or that stuff. So that's the fun part. I mean, the pragmatic aspect of it is that. We wanted to try a new business model where essentially we're we're creating kind of a, a financial safety net, like a lockbox for the book that allows us to to continue production no matter what. I mean, I had I started this label privately that I'm doing now, Best Jacket. It's Jacket is a portmanteau of my sons, Jack and Emmett, and we have a third now, Quinn, but he came along too late. <laughs> to he's, he's he's gonna hold you to that man. 
I know. I thought about like making a jacket with a Q, and it was just getting too weird. It already has two T's, and it's like no one would know how to pronounce it. And so, uh, but ultimately, um, you know, what what we're trying to do with it is uh, I had a bunch of books in production already with with some artists you've seen me work with before, and then some artists that are brand new. And when COVID hit and shut indie publishing down and shut retailers down. You know, there was there was just no no way to fund those books privately. I'm not. I know. You know, I was on Batman a long time. Comics has been extremely good to me, but I can't I can't afford to pay for like a line of books. You know, with 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 artists on my own. And so, you know, all I could say is let's find work elsewhere. Let's find you work elsewhere. And so this time around, the goal. And you know, luckily, not only have things come back, but I I was able to um, you know use some of the option money from Undiscovered Country and. Get everything back up and running without this campaign but the idea of the campaign is to say the book is already committed to publishers so it's coming out at image in february or so so it's not it's not um something that bypasses or circumvents retailers it's for retailers um it's going to be a big series at image um or series not to be arrogant but the uh, idea is that uh, uh this allows us all we're looking for is enough money to essentially fund the first four or five issues we have an internal number that we need for Tony, for Tomeo, the, the colorist, for the letterer, Darren Bennett, for Will, the editor, I'm not taking anything. I'm not taking a page rate. I'm not taking a profit from the campaign. So once we hit that number, everything I make goes towards the next artist on Best Jacket, who is actually going to be doing, uh, I'm not supposed to say, but they're going to be doing some promos and stuff for Nocturnal. And a couple of the artists I'm working with are going to do things that some of which will give away free, some of which you can you'll likely be able to, to buy as add-ons to your book just to, you know, extra prints and stuff like that. But you'll start to see the, the tenor of like the variety of people I'm working with the best jacket through that. So, you know, we're excited. And then we have a retailer option so that retailers can really get the book, a different version of the book, not the same. It has a different cover. So it's not like we're offering the same things to retailers that we're offering to the Kickstarter backers, but it's a soft cover version with a different cover. And, uh, you know, we're offering it basically at costs and they can, you know, buy as many as they want through corner bucks and sell it themselves. And we, we don't make much off that, but we're giving 10% of those proceeds wherever we make to Bink anyway. Nice. So we're trying, you know, I, we want it best jacket and then I'll shut up because I feel like I, I just don't stop. Right. It's like uh, the best jacket for me. And I mean, this no one wants to hear you know, from I, me. <laughs> well, no I can't hear from me. They want to hear from you. And I know that. Look, I'm I'm happy to be the the the. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you cursed on this. I was about to do that, so I apologize. We're too early in the morning, but the I, you know I'm used to being that. I can be that bear on the unicycle juggling the stuff, and I can go out there and PT Barnum and and. But I promise, like I really do feel like I've tried to build my career on the fact that I have not promoted books of my own or worked on projects that I haven't believed in, and I stand by the things that I've done. I've made mistakes. I'm certainly not like you know. There are things I, I I would have done differently if circumstances were different for me, but but ultimately, like I'm fine going out there and and you know being a clown in terms of trying to promote this stuff when I believe in it and I believe in best jacket as a the whole name is meant to be you know the idea of putting on your best jacket your big boy jacket and saying I want to be a better writer you know and work with people that are going to challenge me and I want to be a better part of the community by being able to pay artists well um, pay them. If, if I have enough, pay them where I don't have to recoup their page rate from the royalties of the book. So it's not in advance. It's actually just extra money. So all kinds of stuff like that. And I'm interested in, you know, if we make enough, then second year of Best Jacket, 
I'm already trying to do things where I'll be able to to help um, other books, you know, make it into um, into production that, that I'm not a part of. So that's my goal. That's kind of where I've wanted to be for a long time. And my my I still have a foot in D.C. So I do have a I have one big project at least coming out in 2021. You'll kind of get a hint of it at the end of Death Metal. But death metal really is my kind of, you'll see at the end, I mean, it's a love letter to not just DC, but this moment in comics as a as a real end of an era and the beginning of a new one, both at DC and I think across the industry in different ways. And it's about embracing that and mourning sort of some things that were lost and all of it. So I'm very proud of it. And uh, at the end, you'll get a little tease of what I'm doing next, but it's, I want to move over and give other people room. You know, I've taken up a lot of oxygen, I think for a long time. And there are a lot of really great up and coming emergent voices out there that I think I hope DC, you know, and, and Marvel give a chance to, to say new things with some of these characters. Well, I think it's interesting that, um, like you say, you've created Best Jacket um, with that um, goal in mind to kind of have a uh, an umbrella of your own to uh, put your own unique spin on uh, stories. Um, and like you say, it's it's sometimes difficult for creators to put on that salesman hat to kind of put themselves forward uh, in uh, this regard. I mean, it, was that something that kind of intimidated you when you were putting the idea of uh, the Kickstarter campaign together, the idea that you were going to have to effectively, not shill, but yeah, put your, uh, uh, your salesman hat on and uh, actually put yourself face forward? Not, not this time around, I think, because uh, I love the book and Tony and, and I, I believe in what we're doing because I feel it's being the model the, the, I believe in this model. And, I, and, you know, if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. And I'm willing to take the hit from retailers or from fans saying this doesn't work. But what I'm about this year and next year, and I think you'll see this through a lot of things I have lined up, both in terms of trying to really reestablish the kind of teaching workshop at D.C., but also my own projects is that I just think it's time for us to try and find ways of of creating kind of a more synergistic and confluent like ecosystem in comics where we don't see certain things quite as at odds with each other as we do now from everything from the obvious ones like digital and print to different things like manga, YA. There are ways of also using those platforms to bring readers into superheroes without then glutting them with a million things that don't fit that format, using digital to try out new voices because there's lower risk, lower vulnerability, then bringing those series in, maybe doing bigger books, you know, in the direct market, making the comics longer with backups so that people get more bang for their buck, making them more special. There are all kinds of things like this that I think can allow. I just think it's almost like there are a lot of changes that we should have started making 10 years ago that will help retailers, in my opinion, and will We'll wind up giving them better product, more special product, and and more focused product. And I think DC, you know, has a really good eye on that. Marie does, and Jim does, and them making digital something that that really works in a special way for digital, and that attracts the kinds of you know readership that gravitate towards that. Using the exciting explosion of kind of YA readership and manga readership as a as a place to explore different ways to approach our characters, like our young adult stuff is doing great. You know, all the kids books from Swamp Kid to Raven to Harley Quinn, Breaking Glass, the Mariko book, all of it. Like, so not seeing those as siloed things that compete with each other or that address wildly different markets, but seeing it as an ecosystem that kind of works together. And finding ways of bringing those things um, closer, closer in unison. And for me, 
everything I'm trying, whether it's like a model like this that says retailers, we are not trying to um, work around you by just creating a product that we're giving to backers and that's it. This actually funds what we hope will be a long and healthy series for you and gives you a way in to some of the plans I have later on in terms of trying things like, you know, panel syndicate again with Brian, Brian Vaughn, uh, all, all kinds of stuff that I have lined up that I, I want to explore different avenues of and try and try and take some of the, you know, like you said, the popularity or whatever that I've been able to to grow over the years and draw attention to, to ways that I think our industry can, can strengthen all different bridges between um, fans and the material itself. So I know that sounds really abstract, but I have, I have more kind of concretized plans in different little ways. And so that's, that's what I, I believe that it's, it's a terrifying and really difficult moment. And it's a moment that like, if we had, I wish we had moved faster um, long, a, a long time ago towards being a bit more aggressive and about, you know, a little bit more visionary about ways of, of kind of fixing aspects of the industry from, from speculator stuff to, you know, all kinds of things. Like there are a hundred things on a list. But this moment is- Well, I mean, it, 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 says, it says a lot about the, the fact that uh, the industry did stop and change on a dime uh, back in March. Um, and this whole situation this year has shown uh, that the industry does need to adapt and evolve and change. And it's great to see that DC are making changes, however drastic they may be. And I'm hoping this, this weekend with DC Fandom, we're going to find out more about what DC have got planned down the line uh, for yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah. for yourself, and when it comes to Best Jacket, I'm really curious about um, th that umbrella and the fact that um, we've got this project. You've got the, I know you've got a second book that um, you've already got noodling away. That's uh, kind of got um, uh, planned already. But is this going to be at home just for your writing, or do you see other writers uh, coming under the banner of Best, best Jacket? I 100% see other writers. I would love to be able to do that and give back um, and try and do it in a way that's generous. You know, a lot of it depends on how these initial projects do. Um, and with, you know, this Kickstarter definitely exceeded all of our expectations pretty quickly. So I'm, and I'm really thrilled. I mean, the truth is like, even in uncertain times, uh, I'd like to take some risks, you know, financially with being able to do those things. I just, I need to create enough of a support system that I'm not risking the money I need for my family and that kind of stuff as well. So what I'm trying to do is is really be shrewd about um, creating enough of a kind of a lockbox um, through campaigns like this. Like, the, again, like, I don't just have one book lined up. I shouldn't be talking about it. But I have about six or seven books in different stages of production right now with different artists. And the way that we've been working is that um, they've been just doing it on the side of work that they've been doing at DC because or, or Marvel or everywhere because they're from all over. Because I can only really, the ones that, that I know um, have less work or emergent, you know, for me, I, I try, I'm trying right now to make sure that the money I'm getting can go directly to them and it will. I'm, I'm pretty safe with that right now. But my goal now is I have some funding coming in from things like Undiscovered Country and I'm able to keep people working pretty steadily. But before our model was more like, like whenever you get time to squirrel away on this stuff, as soon as we're ready, we'll go out with it. But what happened with COVID and, and what all of this has made me realize is like, there just isn't time for that. And not only is there not time for that, but the the volatility in the superhero market as well is something that, you know, we have to recognize. It doesn't mean that there's not plenty of, they're going to be great work and healthy work and that, you know, for, for the, for 
artist and all of that, but it's just something where I want to take more control of my own career and be able to say, I still am working in superheroes, but I have the means on my own to be able to pay for the books that I'm making outside of superhero comics without having to take advances, if even if they do them, some places do, from indie publishers without asking for page rates for artists. Because some, you know, if I go into an indie publisher at this point in my career and say, can you help me with a page rate? A lot of the time they'll say yes, you know, and that that's great. That means that I can, I can, like, if could I fund the books that I'm doing right now without raising money myself? Yeah, I probably could, but here's the, the problem with that. The problem in my perspective and the artists I work with perspective is that the resources that I'm asking for from that indie publisher are not going towards books that need it more than me. Like I'm a sure thing in the way that, you know, we'll be okay. Our book isn't going to tank and I'm not going to be in the red. Worst case scenario, if the book doesn't do as well as we want and we do six issues or eight issues, then, you know, move away from it if people aren't into it. But um, there are people who are banking on there being money in those indie publishers to help fund their very first book. And I don't want to be a drain on that. Yeah. at all like you know if i come into a small publisher and i'm like hey can i have a page rate for me and you know uh this a star, superstar artist to do our book they're going to prioritize that for their thing you know just because it brings sales you know not not for any reason i'm like think so high of myself it's just facts so that that's part of it too and I, and this is i'm trying to be as transparent as possible with you man about like you know this is not like pr stuff this is more just like I, I don't know if, if I'm right or wrong, but I believe in what we're trying and I'm, I'm trying to do it in a way that, you know, I can feel good about at the end of the day and not feel like, just feel like, feel like I'm keeping in mind other people in comics and trying to be responsible about the way that I moving through the industry and not just kind of like stomping through it being like, I'm doing a book. Can I have money? I'm doing that, you know, like just trying to figure it out. Like to, to well, be, I, I... I can imagine there's also that feeling as well that you're not necessarily wanting to cash in too many of those chips asking for the money ahead of time from a publisher. At least this way it is very much putting that relationship between yourself and your reader and kind of cutting through and making that re relationship very much more direct. Which I do kind of ask the question then, why was Kickstarter uh, your chosen platform to do this and to introduce Nocturnal and to do Best Jacket? Because uh, there could have been the way that you could have done it through a website and done it through a uh, and really kind of gone out and created a best jacket um, site. But you've gone through Kickstarter. What, what was it about Kickstarter that made that appealing to, to do that? The inclusion. I mean, it was it was the feeling of, you know, the idea of crowdfunding to me or the I funded a bunch of campaigns through it. And the, the number I think the feeling or the. The energy there is about getting in on the ground floor on something that you're helping to build. And so for me, because I'm starting this whole different phase in my career and we're building Best Jacket from the ground up, it felt like the right choice in terms of, you know, really living or dying in terms of people's excitement and interest in it. Um, and also a good gauge for, for how big of a market there is out there for you know, supporting creators to go off on their own and take the wheel when there's really, I mean, it's harder than ever for people to have any disposable income. So a lot of it was, was like, let's just, it's testing the waters and testing them in a way that doesn't feel like it's asking, you know, unfair things of, of, of readers doesn't. Um, and also there, there was the whole idea of, um, you know, I was exploring Kickstarter uh, and, and I thought about what if I just do it through my own site, through best jacket, what if we just self publish 
But I think the fun thing with Kickstarter too is that there's a growing and cumulative excitement that goes with like a 30-day campaign this way where it's, we have a lot of things to reveal. We're going to have extras and things going into the book and things you can buy that are not just sort of like a toy, but it will be like art for, about this book from people I'm working with coming up in Best Jacket. So you'll see prints, some of which will come free with the book and some of which you can buy for extra or whatever. But the idea is to be able to have this kind of rolling cumulative excitement about what's coming next. And so it felt like a good avenue for that. And, you know, I just wanted to make clear as we're doing the campaign too, that um, I felt like it would be a way of telling other creators, like there's a way of also, we're just announcing to people like we, it's time for us to try different models at this moment and see what works. And maybe this wouldn't have, I'm glad it is, but all of it is sort of like, you know, it's time for us to uh, be bold and exploratory where we can and see what's going to benefit the industry in ways that um, we really, I think we need to be cognizant of right now, you know? Sure. So for us, like, again, like I, I promise, you're not gonna see me like going out and buying a car with profits from the thing. It will go directly to the next artist, and then if I can fund the first three issues of that, then the next artist after that. So, well, yeah. I mean, we've been we've been putting up on screen the uh, the page. Uh, it's in it's in UK. Uh, it's in uh, GDP at the moment. So, I mean, uh, we're looking at uh, blowing past the, uh, the the initial target, which uh, is fantastic. It's gone great guns. Uh, fully funding its initial target in uh, twenty four hours. So, congratulations on that. I, as part of the selling point of this collector's edition um, is the fact that we're seeing uh, the script uh, for the first issue of Nocturnal uh, alongside uh, uh, Tony Daniels' uh, work in progress pages. Uh, why has it taken so long to see your uh, scripts in print? <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you, the honest truth is that um, there aren't the only ones that they've showed really are like Batman number one and I think like Metal number one, but. I, I, you know, that was all kind of DC adding those things in. I don't, I don't really go public with them mostly, not because I'm embarrassed by them, but because I'm very proud of the fact that there isn't a standard script for me in the way that um, the biggest lesson I learned from Greg, who's, you know, obviously one of my best friends now, but was not when we started. Um, we did not like each other when we started on Batman <laughs> at all because he, I was so terrified of, cause I mean, I, I, I had a, I had a, like a, a more conventional, um, more conventional path uh, in books. Like I always wanted to get in comics, but I was writing short stories cause I couldn't draw. I thought I really wanted to be a comic artist. So I was like, well, if I can't do that, I'm going to be like Stephen King or write, write my horror stories and write books. And, and I was having, I had a career there um, when I, and I was writing stories, like I had written a story that was about a superhero and that's what attracted the attention of a couple editors, Mark Doyle and Janine Schaefer at Marvel to, to invite me in. Um, but when I came in, um, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll be writing, you know, really minor stuff for maybe 10 years before I ever get a chance to do like a small character in Gotham. And then I got in and I was just a couple issues into my career and Detective Comics just opened up and... They just, I don't know what they were thinking, but maybe <laughs> they just were like, do you want to do it? And I was like, yes. And then I went home and I had a panic attack for the next two years of my life where, um, you know, it's like, it's like you've always wanted to, I'm terrible with sports, but it's like, you've always wanted to play, let's say, I would say cricket, but I don't know anything about it. <laughs> don't worry. Nobody knows anything about cricket. Don't worry you about play, it. You want to play football, right? And then like, like soccer, but football, I'm saying football, like you want to play football. 
And then like, you know, you finally get good enough to go pro. And instead of going pro, they're like, you can play in the World Cup and you're first and you're going right now and everything depends, you know, like that. And you're like, that's your first game. And you're like, what? You know, so your first match. So for me, I didn't want, I, I wanted and did not want to be on Batman at all because he's my favorite character. It was like the golden ring. And then to be on it before you think you're ready to write comics was just terrifying all the time. And um, my safety net was writing full script. And full script for me was like extremely full script where it was like panel one, boots running across the rooftop, close on these boots, like rain dripping off the boots. Panel two, we pull back maybe five feet, not 10, five feet. And it was <laughs> like very, very meticulous. And um, Greg came along and was like, you got to just give me the important parts. And I was like, these are all important, you know, <laughs> like, and uh, we really didn't get along. And what I, I realized very quickly, uh, seeing his designs and whenever he took something I had said and did something different, I was ready to be angry at him. And then I was like, wow, it's way better than I did it. And it was issue five where the book turned around, where I finally realized I was like, you know what, if I, I'm going to give him some room, you know, he's doing such a great job and he's so, he's a cool guy. Like we're getting along. And then when I gave him the chance to like invent however he wanted to make the book disorienting, he came up with that brilliant idea, which we had to fight DC to do together. And that was the beginning of our friendship. And so the lesson, the biggest lesson I think he taught me early on, and he's taught me many like sense about everything, like life and craft and all of it. You know, he's a great big brother. Is that um, you have to, as a writer, I deeply believe that you need to adapt and be extremely flexible for, for your artists so that, I am proud of the fact, like for Greg, I do really minimal script. So like an issue that's 30 pages long might have like a 10 page script, you know, at most. It's like from pages, but what I really key in on for him is the emotions of each scene. So I'm like, this is a big fight between the Batman who laughs and Wonder Woman. But what he's taunting her with is the fact that she doesn't know the truth. And that's the thing that, you know, she's always been about. And as they're doing it, the lasso is being cut down. And, and I give him a few lines, but I'm like, it's really the, the final hill to die on for her for this, you know? And, and then I just let him go and he'll come back with stuff way better. Other artists um, like Raphael or Jock prefer full script. And so that's why luckily on Detective, I didn't know that he just preferred it. I was lucky that we matched. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and so my script for Jock will be wildly different than my script for Greg, where it's much more like panel one, not as not as like uh, in depth as I used to do, but it's still like you know same script. It would have been like panel one, Batman's run. We see someone running across the rooftops. Panel two, we see it's Batman. Panel three, you know. But I always give the emotion of the scene as a note before we do the scene. So with Tony, Tony actually really likes kind of a blend. So it's it's a it's a it's a good example of something that sits between those two extremes, and also because I wanted to invite people into the collaborative process and the whole campaign is about that. I felt like it was a good moment to kind of show it. And then also show the difference between what he came up with and what I said, and then have kind of annotated aspects that, that explain how he made me look better than I, I would have myself had I done it and all of that. So it felt like a really good moment to kind of say this part of our careers is all about, connecting with fans in a different way, trying new things, you know, uh, for the industry and for ourselves as creators. And so that means inviting people in, in a more transparent relationship, I think. What was Tony's reaction when uh, you came to the idea? And I know that we've, on, we've blown past any kind of time uh, at this yeah, point. I'm talking to you, man. Let's do it. <laughs> what was Tony's reaction when you came to him with the idea that you were going to go with this model, with this idea? Um, 
I'm, I'm curious about his risks taking. He was he was a little bit a little nervous at first, I think, just because both of us had never done one. And I think we what we were most concerned about was the perception somehow that we were gouging people for money. And what I was what I the only the re, when I, I thought of it, the, the, the reason that I, we approached it and we approached it back in. It was around like January or February when COVID like was in the air, but it wasn't. And I, I remember saying to him, like, there's a good chance that um, we're going to wind up having to take a big time off with this because if we we don't have, you know, if we, we don't have an advance from, from the publisher secured, uh, without that, you know, Tony, Tony is the, makes a lot, you know, a good living off of this for his family. He's got, he's got daughters and, you know, that's, it's a real income for him, like in his family. So he can't just take months off drawing for free. And so um, when I went back to him, I'm like, look, man, there's a way of doing it. If we're just honest about it and we're just clear, like, and we were offering something that isn't gimmicky. That's like, look, this is, it, it's not necessary. It doesn't take away from retailers. Cause we had a big discussion about whether we do it in color, whether we do it lettered, whether we, you know, we could have just done the first issue, lettered, colored, signed, whatever. Yeah. But all of it, every aspect of it, we tried really hard to create something that would, not compete with the retail aspect of it and with the series itself, but give people an extra window into it and get them excited and say it's all optional. Like, if you don't want to buy this, you can buy the series when it comes out in image. That's totally fine. You know, we have enough now that it's guaranteed that it will come out. So there's no there's no pressure. But it's just it gives us. I said like let's give them a way to connect with us because I, I miss conventions, man. It, it was hard watching your intro and seeing San Diego. As much as I bitch about San Diego. You know, because it's San Diego and it's it's a lot. You know, my favorite part has always been being able to reconnect with fans and hang out with friends, like creators. And and that part I really miss, you know. The part I don't miss, the part that I complain about is all just logistics, you know what I mean? Where it's like, a, a lot of us, we have a lot of obligations at those cons that are business obligations where it's like, can you go meet with the person that does our Amazon stuff? Or can you meet with the person that, you know, do a PR stuff for that stuff is hard, you know, because it's, I mean, it's a great life. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, like, you don't look forward to that because it's like crossing San Diego multiple times in the in the crowds. But that's well, it. I mean, I, I when we talk about um, San Diego, indeed, all the big conventions on this show, um, which at the end of the day is about com uh, convention culture. Um, I think people sometimes forget that it is a trade show. It's a trade convention. It, there's work and business to be oh, done yeah. on the other side of the table. And I can imagine... Yeah, you are pulled from pillar to poster over those four days. I'll, I'll send you my schedule from last year. <laughs> I, I think I posted the public one and then hinted at the the public one is like you know you're busy. It's like you're signing and you're you're on that. But the private one, that's the stuff that um, I mean, that's conventions like San Diego. I look forward to it because it's such a beast in the fun way, and you get to see people from overseas that don't go to smaller cons. But you know, it's the the other work is the work of like the in between stuff. Like it's like going and making sure that um, you sign the special uh, edition for Barnes and Noble that they're doing a promo for, or doing a quick video for, uh, you know, the publicity arm of DC app, or doing those things. Like, and I believe in all those things. It's not like I'm not proud to be a part, but it's one of those things where it's like every minute is scripted while you're there from like nine in the morning till, you know, 10 at night. So yeah, it's welcome more, to our world. <laughs> I would say it, I would say it anything and I would happily go back this year and do it, but it's more, I think, 
my 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 complaints or the things that I would talk to people about. It's not the fans; it's the creators. Like I wasn't prepared for that because again, the, for me, like all of my career has been this big learning curve, and um, I really feel like the first couple of years I was looking to get fired in a lot of ways, where I was just like. I was I loved what I was doing so much, and I believed in those stories so much, and I loved Greg and Jock and everybody. But the pressure was for me like I I really wasn't like healthy at home. You know, I was just like full of anxiety and de- panic and depression about just n- imposter syndrome of all kinds. And you know, cons for me were the peak of that. So I really had trouble with them because going in front of a crowd and pretending that I had like deserved what I had or something was, was extremely uncomfortable. So I had, I had a lot of difficulty with cons in San Diego the first years where, you know, I would drink too much or I'd be like, you know, I, I always, I never, but I, I, the only people I ever like fought with, fought with and like got into arguments or embarrassed myself in front of were my bosses really. So I, <laughs> I had a habit of doing that, which is, I would never recommend, but you know, I got a better bit, a bit of a reputation, I think the first couple of years for being, um, for being a problem and that stuff. And, you know, over the years I find it was really Greg that helped me calm down and be like, look, we're just, just horse blinders. You know, it was like, forget all of it, forget the pressure. And I would be like, Greg, there are 100,000 people reading this book. You know what that means? That's like three Yankee stadiums, like piled on top of each other. And I'm like reading it to them from the mound on a microphone. And when I like, what if I read a bad page? And it's like three stadiums worth of people being like, boo, you know? And he was like, get out of your head. Just, we're a team. We're friends. Don't worry about it. And so cons, I love cons now. And especially the small ones, especially, you know, overseas ones are wonderful too. But those big ones, like San Diego and New York, those first years were very hard. I had some, you know, experiences where I just, I, I was definitely embarrassing myself in terms of like not being prepared for, or not wanting it, not wanting the pressure. And I've, I've always, I'm very proud of like my relationship with fans and my um, my peers generally. Like I don't, but when my bosses, you know, I, I definitely like I had some bad moments. I, I'll tell you one. Why not? Right? You talk to the engines. It was like my second year on Batman and we were at New York Comic Con and we were at the party for DC Comics and I was with my wife and I, we were like, it was like this nice, you know, private DC event and Dan DiDio was there and I was very upset with Dan DiDio because he had promised certain things with, with and then he, he was now saying he wouldn't, we couldn't do them on the book and like legitimately angry, you know, about stuff. Uh, but I, um, I, uh, was like just very upset and uh i was just like my wife was just like this isn't the place like you're you're at a party with like your whole company around and i was like i need an answer from him and i need to and i was just like dan you know like i don't understand and he's like you know like this and i was like no it's important that you know will dennis who's my editor now on he was the head of vertigo and now he's my partner on best jacket uh, was just like, come on, man, just let's get out of here. You know, screw this, like whatever. And so we left, and um, we went to the Marvel party uh, to to like just get away. Uh, and yeah. we Steve Janine was the other person who you know I've worked with. And by the time we went, maybe eight blocks, I think it was like eight blocks, right? When I got to the Marvel party and walked in, everyone was like, "Did you just get into a physical fight with Dan DiDio?" Whoa, and, what? And the rumor had traveled so fast ahead of like a taxi to the party that I had like gotten to a fight fight, like a physical fight with like the publisher 
that it really that was the moment I was like, you got to get your shit together, you know. And it, you know who else it was? Oh, like Tom Brevoort, who I who I knew only because he shops at the same comic store out here as me. And I met him before I broke in, and he was always kind to me. And then we became friendly when I first broke in. Actually, called me and was like, "Listen, man, I I have no horse in this race, but I'm telling you this because I think you you know you have a future with this. Like, you need to chill out. Like, you need to you know you're getting a reputation for being you know really volatile with stuff. And uh, that was the turning. It was I mean, this was a long time ago. This was like 2012, 2013. So it's been many years of you know trying to be uh, a lot better about it. But um, yeah, so conventions for me were very low hate for a long time at the beginning, and now I feel a lot better about them, and I, I love them before to them. But San Diego in particular and New York were tough ones because it's such pressure. Those, you know. I think yeah, I mean that that amount of people that that spotlight. I mean, like you say, the the sheer the weight of not only anticipation but just people watching what you're doing when you think you're not being watched. I, I can imagine that's yeah. yeah that's that's problematic but um i mean i remember meeting you at um thought bubble uh in leeds oh, I and love uh, and I, I i don't know if you remember because i pulled you uh uh from you were walking down at one of the hours and I actually pulled you back to meet one of the artists and i think you took one of his books at the, the time and um i think it was really cool that you were stepping away from your table and you were making the rounds and you were making time to actually explore and uh, discover uh, arts and uh, other creators for yourself. I thought that was um, that was a, a good opportunity for you to do that. I thought that was cool. I appreciate that. I miss that con a lot. Lisa is a good friend and uh, I really hope to go back soon. So, and we'll be, you know, Lisa somebody I'm working closely with too going forward. So I love her. She's great. And that con is just absolutely like the pinnacle of what con should be. But um yeah, you know, I, I think also, like, it, it's a chance. That's the, the fun of it is, like, it's a chance to explore and discover new um, books and creators and and all of it, you know. So there's definitely the aspect of, you know, there, I miss conventions tremendously right now. So part of the campaign is about that, that idea of trying to give you something personalized and to reach out and be, you know, open um, with things that uh, we haven't been in the past, so. Um, I'll let you get off. We've got a couple of questions, if that's okay, just to kind of murder me if I don't go help with the baby in 15 <laughs> minutes. So I have like maybe, maybe like five more minutes and then I can have 10 minute buffer to like go in there. And... No worries. No worries. Well, in that case, we'll get uh, a couple of comments. Um, we've got so this from Into the Blue Mister. Met Scott at Thought Bubble a few years ago as well. Yeah, yeah, it would be the same con that I was at. How did he find that con compared to the heavy hitters in the States? I think we've uh, pretty much talked about that. I mean, it is. <laughs> I mean, we're, I love, we're, we're missing it uh, huge here in the UK as well. Leeds, I love Leeds. We got to explore all over. We spent a couple extra days both years to explore in London and Leeds. And when we went over to Ireland once, it was just a blast. I miss, I miss the off bubble. I, the cons that are focused on the creators and the relationship to the fans and comics in particular like that and celebrate the art in particular, like, like especially overseas where you see that, that those are my favorites. Cool. And Jamie and here and throw a good party <laughs> i've yet to attend one because uh, i was going to be going to uh, new york comic-con when they were doing their uh, final wrap-up for wikdiv and it was the big blowout party where everyone just i think there were stories of nefarious things happening underneath tables and stuff and i was uh, and i ended up not being able to go it was absolutely gutting but there we go uh solicitor smeg uh, for a new writer paying an artist can be debilitating are there any methods of finding an artist without having to put up hundreds of dollars 
just to pitch a comic? That's a big question. That's a great um, question. I mean, that's what we're looking at now. You know, I mean, I think the the best thing that you can do when you approach an artist and go, this goes back to what I was saying about scripting is that make them a co-creator, you know, make them a partner. Even if you retain the rights to the, to what you do with the, the property, the intellectual property, when you go to film or television and you have that final say, there's a way, even if it's, if it's your idea, you know, there's a way of bringing them in so they feel like a partner. And when they're that invested, you're both working essentially on it for no money. You know what I mean? And trying to do it together. And there's a camaraderie that forms there. That's like the base level of what I'd say to do. But really, I mean, you got to be creative in terms of this. Like you don't have to use Kickstarter, which takes a percentage. You can always like put pages up, uh, commission pages from the artist in terms of selling stuff online. If they have any following, just try it. The best advice I can give is like connect directly with your fans, like to try and get excitement and money for a book that you're doing yourself. I mean, I think for myself, the, the big appeal of what you do is that it, um, while it is your name on the book, it's never just a Scott Snyder book. It's a real connection between yourself and your other creators. I mean, my personal favorite book of yours, I've got <laughs> the uh, big oversized black and white version over there of issue one is Witches. And the, what you did with Jock, um, and it is a real collaboration, and you feel that in the, the, the books you do. Yeah, he's um, one of my best friends. I mean, he's the, he's the artist that took a chance on me when he was the star and I was nobody. So, I mean, for detectives, I'll, I'll always be grateful to him. Uh, Into the Blue Mister followed up his comment. Um, quite Everyone raves quite rightly about Scott's run on the New 52. But for me, which is, is his finest and creepiest work, it also helps. I'm a big fan of Jock. Likewise, same here. Um, I not be a fan of Jock. He's an amazing person, amazing artist. Can we expect any more witches down the line? Yeah, is I don't know how if I'm allowed to say it yet, but like we're involved in the television show of it right now. So Jock and I are literally like this week, like tomorrow on this big... I'm, I'm writing it and he's the art director of it. So oh, wow. we were absolutely going back to it. Um, we're just, uh, he's finishing up a project with Jeff Lemire, um, which again, I don't know if I'm, how much I'm supposed to say that, but that's the truth. Uh, and then that should be done in the next couple of months. And then we'll go back to witches as we're working on it here for the television. Cool. Um, and you've got, um, yeah, people just loving the work that you've uh, been doing. I think recently as well, not necessarily, I mean, the Batman stuff has just been uh, outstanding. But, I mean, yeah, the, the, the stuff that you've definitely had a, a real personal connection to. I mean, you, you said that straight off the gate, um, out the gate with Undiscovered Country. Those first two pages when you did the introduction, you set the stall about what you were wanting to do with that book. I mean, I think it, it, that shows that connection with yourself and with the story. And um, looking forward to uh, the, the next arc. Um, yeah. obviously um, that book is, is a lot of fun Charles is a good friend and Camo's great and we want each zone to feel wildly different I mean for us like people keep asking us like why is it weird to have a book that has corollaries in the real world with things happening with the pandemic and the retreat from the world stage but ultimately the thing the book's really about I think is more what's going on now it's less the, the material sort of connections to, to the world but it's this feeling of aggressive and promoted isolationism on every level, like not just nationally, but this feeling of like insulating yourself from, you know, anything you don't want to see or, or hear. And that exposure of that, especially here in America, I think of, of just bubble wrapping yourself in, in whatever belief system you, you have without sort of addressing any kind of objectivity or any of it. And, the way that our founding principles, you know, we never live up to them, but the, the founding principles, and I love, you know, early American history, 
are all about this dream of a place where it's all collectivism in some way, you know, that it's all about, oh, a single story you're all a part of somehow. And so the, the book means a lot to us, but it's the fun is kind of sublimating a lot of that beneath this kind of totally wild plot. It's like Land of the Lost meets like. The way that Undiscovered Country uh, came out, and uh, you can tell that that was obviously born from the last three years of oh, yeah. um, American politics. But I'm really, I've been asking this of creators who've been on throughout the summer. I'm really curious as to how this particular situation uh, over the last three, four months um, has informed. Because obviously you'll have had the, the plotting and the, 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 bear, the, the structure of something like Undiscovered Country in place. I'm wondering how much the real immediate situation has informed that plot lining and how it's kind of made you maybe second guess it or rearrange it or change it uh, literally only, just this 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 this, this period in time the only things that it's really made us change are veer away i think from some of the more real world connectivity because i feel it detracts or distracts from what we're trying to say um like we had certain things in one of the zones coming up that was much more about a pandemic and all of this stuff and it's not that we're afraid to address that. I just think that the the way, the kind of, every book has different DNA, you know what I mean? Like, like Witches is very mainline emotional, like your most vulnerable and embarrassing and deepest fears right on the surface. Undiscovered Country is kind of the math of something like Metal, where it's like a book that wants to bring you in with like the aggressive, obnoxious fun of it. And then once you're inside of it, you start to realize it's about a lot more than you thought. So those kinds of, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but those kinds of immediate like speed bumps where you, you would hit something and be like, oh, that's happening right now in the world, right? Like it takes you out of it. And it's yeah. not for escapism. It's the opposite. It's kind of a different delivery system in my mind, in my opinion, where nothing I've written I've ever considered to be escapism. I think the idea of escapism is, is sort of ridiculous. I just, because I, if, if it resonates with anybody, it's about something that matters. But what I like to do is really take my fears or what, what I'm thinking about at that moment in the world and decide based on the medium or the characters I'm using or the story or the book, how deep to, how, how deeply to translate that into kind of the lexicon of comic book lunacy or, or leave it closer to the surface. And Undiscovered Country is one where it's quite buried and just allows the characters and the story to kind of you know, carry you forward like a crazy river for a while before you start to see some of the, the bigger impulses beneath it. Sure. Whereas like American Vampires is, is more of a blend. And that, maybe if we end on that, because that is, that's technically, that's kind of like my favorite series that I ever do. And, and it's the longest running one. And I we're coming up on the end now. And um, the end that at least brings us up to the present, starting in October. And it's my favorite arc. It takes place in 1976 at the Bicentennial. And it, it's all about kind of American identity, but it's it's just out of control fun where it's like train robberies and, you know, nuclear football and Las Vegas, all of this stuff and disco. It's really fun. There's a disco floor that kills vampires that they don't realize that it has like solar lights instead of like regular lights and they're dancing on it. It's like, it's very fun. All kinds of crazy Sold. stuff. I really love that series. I hope, I hope people come back to it. It has everybody in it. Big 10 issue work. I'm well. I'm sold. Uh, you said disco already. Sorry. I'm that. Yeah. I'm done with disco. That's really cool. Uh, I mean, I, I'm really also really curious to see um, when it comes out uh, how uh, Nocturnal is going to. Um, like you say, I, I kind of gave that pitch at the beginning. 
and I, I said that um, the, the 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 mashup of various uh, styles to come forward. But I'm really curious to see how you bring, like you say, contemporary uh, ideas and the the, the, the various levels uh, to the fore with uh, Nocturnal. I'm really excited for it. I am a backer. I am a backer for the, uh, the series. I'm looking forward to uh, getting my copy. I just want to say thank you once again for coming on. I really appreciate uh, your time. Uh, once again, let's put it up on the screen and let's uh, show everybody uh, this uh, incredible project um, and uh, invite everyone to go by and uh, check it out. Kickstarter.com slash projects, Scott Snyder. It is the Scott Snyder and Tony Daniels Nocturnal One Collector's Edition. Scott, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you no, so I, much I, indeed for coming on. It's great. It's great seeing you again. Hopefully we'll get to see each other in person sometime soon. I'd be happy to come on anytime. Oh, we'd love to have you back. Of course we would. Uh, in fact, we'd love to have you back when Nocturnal perhaps is up and running. And uh, we'll see what, see what people's reactions would be. Let's do it. That'll be fun. Excellent stuff. I'll see you later. Take care. Thank you very much indeed, sir. So there you go. Um, it is an amazing looking book. Um, I mean, Tony Daniels is looking like he's doing career best stuff. Um, it is well worth um, uh, checking out. I, we, we covered it in the interview. I'm really curious about uh, the... Uh, the, the model that uh, he's chosen, but um, it's, I think, a really good way of connecting with an audience. Um, and like he says, that community that Kickstarter gives you um, really does uh, allow you to uh, bring that to the fore. Very, very cool. Right. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. We were expecting this to be a slightly shorter episode, uh, but we got ourselves a nice long chat with Scott Snyder. And it's the start of a run of really great um, conversations we've got coming up. Um, these are the ones that we've got coming up on Sundays. Um, <laughs> more to talk about in a second, but we will be having a chat starting um, with our first Sunday interview. Derek Robertson is going to be joining us. Uh, this is the artist, of course, behind uh, Transmetropolitan. He's uh, riding high on the boys at the moment. Um, obviously, that's in the, uh, the forefront with uh, season two on the way. Um, really looking forward to talking to Derek, uh, if anything, because um, if I've got it here, um, I've got some um, uh, artwork that he, he has done for uh, uh, a, a Kickstarter, which I've uh, backed called Quarantine, um, uh, which uh, I'm really interested to uh, to hearing and talking about. Oh, he did the cover. There you go. That's uh, the cover for Quarantine. So, um, yeah, looking forward to talking to Derek. That's this Sunday, uh, the uh, 23rd of August. Sunday 30th, we're going to be talking to James Tinnan uh, 4th, uh, so uh, very much uh, getting back into the uh, the Batman conversation, uh, but he's got plenty of stuff to talk about at the moment. He is um, very much uh, a man of the moment, really looking forward to talking to James. Uh, Cullen Bunn on Sunday the 6th of September, um, we've got on Sunday the 13th of September, Julie Tate, who's the director of Lakes Festival, talking about the challenges of making uh, an event like Lakes, which is very much like an Anglomay um a, a city-wide festival into a virtual event how is that possible uh, so we're going to be talking about that but uh, and then on sunday the 20th of september we're going to be talking uh, to the creative team behind that texas blood uh, which is from image comics chris condon and jacob phillips uh, an amazing um uh, cowboy noir uh, very much worthwhile checking out however talking about those but we've got ourselves some incidental uh, episodes and my word uh, they've come out of the woodwork um scott's uh, chat there uh, talking about um best jacket but tomorrow we're going to be talking uh, to um the editor uh, of a book which um is very uh it, it sounds fascinating to be fair um it's um uh, Kai, let me get this right kai krumbar 
is the editor. Um, she's created a book called um, uh, um, Real uh, True War Stories. Sorry, it's available on Kickstarter. Um, she is uh, editing it um, with uh, some amazing talent and uh, has pulled together this book, which is very much about the, uh, the story of the military being deployed overseas and coming back very much with your own personal story. Um, it's a, a really interesting project. I'm looking forward to talking to her. That's going to be tomorrow uh, at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT. Uh, then we have ourselves, uh, let me just uh, bring up my uh, calendar because I told you, we've got ourselves a list of people. Yes, on Saturday, uh, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT, I've been invited to uh, do this. Um, John McRae is somebody we've had on the show before. Uh, he's got his Kickstarter, Mighty World of John McRae, uh, on the way. Um, and we have been asked to host um, a live draw. Basically, for his 40,000 um, uh, stretch goal tier, um, he's going to be uh, producing a original signed print for people uh, as a, uh, a reward. We're going to have that piece of work drawn live on an incidental episode on Saturday. 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT with uh, John McRae. Uh, that's going to be a really cool episode. We're gonna, we can talk about the Kickstarter, we can talk about his career, but I think that one is going to be about his process. It's going to be about how he actually creates work. So uh, really, really cool. Um, then uh, on the 26th, which is the Tuesday, um, let me just uh, get my uh, dates right because I want to make sure I've got this right. Um, no, sorry, on, on, this, on, the, um, on the Wednesday, sorry. We're going to have a big episode. Um, this is Jeff Trexler. Um, he is the gentleman who we've we've been mutuals on Twitter for a while. He's a, a lawyer. Um, he's a, I think it's um, IP lawyer law that he uh, specialises in. Um, he knows his comics. He knows the comic creators. He knows the landscape. He is now currently uh, and very recently been uh, put into the position of the interim uh, director of the Comic Book Legal Defence Fund. A um, organization which has done a lot of good, but has obviously been marred by some very uh, disturbing recent revelations about some of the upper tier management of the organization. There are going to be a number of people that feel that the CBLDF should be taken down, uh, dismantled and left in the space for other organizations to do good. But at the end of the day, you can't deny the the good that an organization like CBLDF does, and neither does Jeff. He sees a future for the organization. We're going to be talking to him about that. We're going to be talking about uh, um, recompenses. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, some people and the uh, what they need to do to uh, to put themselves into a better light for people. It's a difficult conversation, but I'm looking forward to being very much focused, and that is going to be a big one for me. That's going to be on Wednesday the 26th. Uh, that's with Jeff Trexler from the uh, Comic Book Legal Defence Fund. Um, we do have ourselves another one on, uh, I believe it's Tuesday. Uh, we're going to be talking, I'm, I'm, I'm literally nailing this one down, uh, but we're going to be talking to David Papose. Uh, he's been on the show before, some time ago, a couple of years, but uh, he's got a Kickstarter up and running, uh, which is called The Oz. Uh, if you can imagine, um, The Wizard of Oz meets Metal Gear Solid. Uh, it looks stunning, um, really exciting, uh, like uh, 
um, uh, Scott's uh, project, very high octane. Uh, really looking forward to speaking to David. Uh, that I'm going to start announcing properly uh, over the course of the next couple of days, but I suspect that's going to be on Tuesday. Same time, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT. And then with James Tinnan on uh, Sunday, that's our week. Uh, we've got our fair, sh fair share of interviews uh, going to be uh, taking place. Um, and that's us. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed it. Do take care. Um, I hope that uh, you enjoyed our chat with uh, Scott. We'll try and get more people that you want to see on the, uh, the show. Please do jump on um, the uh, social medias. Let creators know that we exist, that we're here. And of course, that uh, you would like to hear us talk to them about their projects and what they've gotten up to over the course of lockdown, of course. From myself, do take care. Uh, join us tomorrow for another Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. We're going to leave you with the um, promotional video for Nocturnal. Um, it's a fascinating looking project. I think these uh, the boys, uh, Scott and um, uh, uh, Tony, have created something pretty special. Hopefully you'll swing by, check out their Kickstarter. Uh, but for now, check this out. Uh, take care and I'll see you on the other side. Bye-bye. I'm Scott Snyder. I've been working in comics for about 10 years now. I'm mostly known for uh, my DC work on Batman and creator-owned series like American Vampire and Witches, but this year I'm really excited to be making a more committed return to creator-owned books. That's books that we make ourselves, and I'm so thrilled that the first book in that series is going to be this one, Nocturnal. It's a book that's lived in my mind for a long time, and Tony and I have been working on it for the better part of a year. As a kid, I, I always had this like deathly fear of the dark. And then when I saw my own kid uh, kind of going through the same thing, the idea just hit me one night. I was like, what about a world just plunged into an eternal night, into darkness, and a darkness that's even scarier because it changes anything that stays in it too long into a shade, something, a monstrous kind of twisted form. So our main character in the series, her name is Valentina Val uh, Riggs, and she's a ferryman in this world, which means she hauls people from town to town, these lit up outposts and driving along these deadly shade infested dark roads. And as a kid, she had terrible cataracts, so she had really bad vision. She almost lived in, in darkness. And so she had surgery to correct it when she was a girl, but she is now kind of using those skills she learned as a, as a child to navigate this crazy nighttime that everyone's stuck in. And she's really badass. She drives this 18-wheeler, and it's all armed with weaponized lights and all kinds of stuff. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a big, high-octane thriller, and she's the perfect character to helm it. Hi, everyone. I'm Tony Daniel. Scott Snyder and I have created a new comic book. It's, I think, my best work ever. And uh, Scott has such an imagination. So together, we come up with this crazy new ongoing series. We're, we're just super happy to work with each other and to be able to get this into your hands. So thank you for helping us do that. We really wanted this campaign to be all about connection. I miss connections with fans on every level. This campaign is really designed to allow us to reconnect with our fans at a time when real life circumstances are just driving us all apart. These editions of the book, they're really special because it's just art and script. So there won't be those balloons. It's not lettered. They're black and white, so you get to see Tony's amazing pencils and inks. You'll see my words in the script, and sometimes the, the descriptions of what's happening will be different than what you actually see. All of that is what this book is about. It's about seeing how something like this gets made and feeling a part of it. The different tiers are uh, essentially, we'll, we'll have a soft cover, unsigned black and white version that's uh, script and art, and then we'll have a hardcover version for not much more than that that's signed. Every tier 
is meant to give you access to us. We're doing a lot of videos about how we make the book, about Tony's process for designs. I'm gonna do a class about first issues. So Nocturnal is coming out as a monthly series from Image. It's gonna start in early 2021. These special editions through Kickstarter will ship before that for backers. So this is gonna be the very first book uh, from, from Best Jacket. My pledge to, to backers, honestly, is that I won't, I'm not taking any profit from this campaign. My whole goal with this is to be able to fund more books. And at the end of the day, we just wanted to say thank you. Whether you back the campaign or not, please hear from me and Tony and Tomeo and everybody on the team that we know it's a hard time in comics. It's a crazy time all around. But uh, the fact that you still support comics in general means the world to us. So best fans in the world, thank you again.